Welcome to the Final Draft Great Conversations podcast. Today's great conversation is with Zoya Patel. The Final Draft Great Conversations podcast is all about books, writing, and literary culture. I'm Andrew Popel, and every week I broadcast Final Draft from the studios of 2SER in Sydney. Final Draft is dedicated to exploring Australian writing, from debut authors to household names. Every week we look into the issues that drive our storytelling and help you discover more from the books you love. These are the stories that make us who we are. 2SER broadcasts from the lands of the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation, and I'm recording on the lands of the Darug and Gundungurra people. I want to acknowledge the traditional owners of those lands and pay my respects to their ongoing connection to their lands. This is stolen land and treaty was never made in Australia. Zoya Patel is the author of No Country Woman. She's the founding editor of Feminazi and has been published widely, including Junkie, Women's Agenda and the Canberra Times. Today, she's joining us on the show as the head of the 2021 Stella Prize judging panel. The Stella Prize is an annual award. It's open to books published by women and non-binary writers. It's now in its ninth year and always offers up an incredible selection of titles. I absolutely love this prize and it is guaranteed an amazing read. Zoya is joining us today to take us through the 2021 Stella Prize shortlist. It's an incredible selection. The prize will be announced later this month. So join me today as we get a little bit of an insight into the 2021 Stella Prize. Zoya, welcome. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Now, we spoke almost seven years ago in the lead up to the National Young Writers Festival up in Newcastle, uh, the halcyon days when we could all meet together. So much has happened since then. I mean, even just in the last 12 months, you've, you've published a memoir, you've, you've published widely, you've been on the Stella judging panel now a couple of times. I was wondering if you could kind of just reflect generally on some of the changes that you've seen in writing and in the voices being represented and, and maybe what role Stella Prize and the incredible writing it highlights have, has played in those changes. Yeah, absolutely. Wow, what a trip down memory lane. I feel as if um, that period of time is almost too nostalgic for me because it pretty much maps my coming of age. Um, I think I would have been in my early 20s when we last spoke. Um, so it's definitely a baby writer. And I think you're right. There has been a really significant shift in the way that the Australian literary culture approaches things like intersectionality and representation. Back when the Stella Prize first came into being, I think it really felt like a revelation for a lot of us that actually there was a lot of inequality in the way that um, gender was represented in literary prizes, but also the Stella Prize does the Stella Count, where they look at how books are reviewed um, in major dailies and in major publications and the split between books by women and books by men and how much space they're given and who reviews them. And I think we all just accepted the status quo because that's what we'd always seen, that books by men, um, typically white men, were prioritised. They were seen as the kind of um, hallmarks of literary canon and that was so accepted and the Stella Prize really disrupted that. So... I think we've definitely seen a focus on diversity and representation. We've also seen publishers and agents um, really strongly kind of do almost like a proactive approach to incorporating that diversity into their list. And certainly when I was going to get my book published, um, which was I was kind of pitching that around in 2017 and it was published in 2018. And I really noticed that there was a strong appetite in the publishing and in the book selling industry for stories of diversity like that because I wonder if it would have been harder for me to publish a memoir about race and um, growing up as a migrant in Australia maybe five or six years earlier. 
it's so important to have that really active disruption too, isn't it? I mean, we're still like, I'm not talking about in the last couple of years, I'm talking about in the last couple of weeks, we're still hearing very facetious arguments around this idea that somehow everything's fine and, and merit is the only thing that is getting promoted, especially in some of the highest halls in, in the country. Yeah, absolutely. And that concept of a meritocracy is so outdated and I think it's been firmly debunked. And I think you'll find that the people who argue um, most fiercely for that idea of let things be, um, everything comes out in the wash, you know, it is about merit. They're the people who have the most privilege um, in that circumstance as it is. And Mm. um, I actually think that the kind of the next hurdle that we'll need to look at, particularly when it comes to the arts in Australia and and literature in terms of who gets published and what that access is, is going to be class and economic inequality. Because at the end of the day, um, I'm really conscious now as someone who's very middle class that even my experience of race didn't give me the level of um, disadvantage of the barriers that I would experience as a poor person in Australia, particularly to something like the publishing industry, which is still, you know, it's still fairly tight knit um, and can be quite inaccessible. Mm. It can feel, <clears throat> pardon me. <clears throat> I tried my hardest. <laughs> it can feel, it, it can feel almost like a, a closed shop, an ivory sort of tower. We, we in some ways need to believe in the, the magic of the books that we read, but also we want to know that those things are open and accessible. And I, I, I like your comments there about where we need to keep challenging that. One of the really cool things about the Stella Prize, actually, is the way that it's open to books um, by women and non-binary writers in Australia. Um, but that still encompasses things like self-published books, um, books from small press, etc. So the range of writers that you read um, is really quite wide. And this year in particular, because of COVID, the books that we read, we didn't get physical copies of all of them. So we had an e-reader instead. And what I really loved about that was it kind—it was almost like blind judging because the things that we probably unconsciously take into account, like the style of the book, um, the printed book, uh, the cover, the type of paper, all of those things that denotes whether it's been published by a traditional publishing house or self-published or from a small press, they were just wiped out. So it was actually really wonderful. It was quite democratizing to read in that way without those kind of hallmarks of um, privilege feeding into it. That is a fascinating insight and I feel like I could dominate the conversation now just thinking about those signals but also the the, the beautiful tactile sense of reading. But we've got a shortlist that we're going to get to and before we before we do announce it, I was wondering, so the current political moment, it's, it's refocusing attention on the way power has historically sat and also in the way that the exercise of power has worked against women. As you prepare... I mean, over the last five, six weeks, we've this this conversation has shot to the front of the public attention, as it should. It's also coincided with a period where you've been working with a panel to decide a long list, a short list, and ultimately the prize. Does your thinking work through these contemporary issues? Does that does that play in any way into your decision, insofar as you can ever separate the these things from your consciousness? I think you're right in saying that it's hard to kind of make these conversations happen in a vacuum or in isolation of what's happening. But I will also say that the Stella Prize is inherently political because it was founded with the um, with the ethos and the goal of redressing an imbalance. So there is an element of our judging that takes into account whose voices are being heard and whose voices perhaps aren't being heard. 
and what stories we really want to promote and put into the public sphere in a way that um, they perhaps wouldn't get that attention from a more traditional prize. So there's an element of that. I also think that by virtue of the makeup of the judging panel, there's five of us and we always, in both of the years that I've been involved, it's been a really diverse panel. And so we do bring an element of lived experience to our judging. And I think that's actually quite important because it's really interesting um, to be part of those discussions and see how, you know, say an Indigenous Australian writer approaches a book as compared to, say, myself as a migrant um, Australian. So there's an element of that. What I will say, though, is that we decided the long list just before kind of the current contemporary political issues really burst Mm -hmm. onto the public sphere. So... It's fascinating to me now looking at the long list and the short list in that context and realizing that writers were already grappling with these themes and these issues in the work that they were creating back in 2020 um, because those issues are quite represented. But it's, it's both, you could see it as a coincidence, but I think it is quite telling of what those major issues around gender inequality and sexism um, and inequality more generally, uh, how big a role they're playing in our kind of collective consciousness. I am always just so amazed and so grateful for the reverberations that that stem out from incredible work. And I mean, last year, Jess Hill won with See What You Made Me Do, which really highlighted um, the (coughs) the ways that violence against women extend throughout society. And I think it also brought this idea of coercive control into popular consciousness and we're seeing that played out in lawmaking at the moment but just recently I for my for my other job I had to complete the mandatory child protection training that the Department of Education and Training um, they make for anyone who is involved in schools and throughout the training for 2021 coercive control was highlighted in a way that I hadn't I hadn't seen it in the past and I just thought this is this is there is a direct line that can be drawn here and this is so important that these things are stemming out from the the discussion but also the books that we read. Absolutely. And Jess Hill's book was so important and also so beautifully written. So it was such a standout last year in the um, in the judging panel's decisions. What is interesting about it also is that her book was kind of a launch pad for a lot of advocacy that that she's now strongly involved in around coercive control and criminalizing it. And I think it really shows how literature does actually make an impact in the in the more um, practical sense in our world and can be a really important part of the conversations that then lead to structural and systemic change. And there are definitely books on this long list and this short list that um, I think are making some really important points as well. And I'm really hopeful that being highlighted in this way helps the issues that they're exploring also burst onto the public um, consciousness as as much as uh, see what you made me do, did. Mm. I mean, I, I I hope they do too. I always, whenever the whenever the long list comes out, I always like to remind people: you want a book club? There is your book club reading list for the rest of the year. Twelve titles, twelve months. That's it. You, you're set. Let's get down to the nuts yeah, and bolts. I do have, <laughs> sorry. Oh, sorry. <laughs> no, you I was going to say I do have a rule for my book club though, which is we don't read the stellar <laughs> long list books only because I've spent a year reading them. <laughs> So the past two years, I've been um, really keen to read all the things that I haven't read. But that's a very privileged position because I've been immersed in Australian women's literature for two years straight, which is pretty amazing. Yeah, you're you're allowed. Everyone else, there's your book club list. <laughs> 
let's <laughs> let's get down to the nuts and bolts of the prize. And before we before we mention the six titles that have made the shortlist, one question about this whole process. I am sure you are repeatedly asked whether you really read all the books that have been submitted. So I'm I'm not going to ask that. I am curious about the process between the sh- the long and the short lists, and then again for the prize. Are you rereading each of the contenders, and what does what does that familiarity, that constant revisiting in such a short period, what does that do to your experience of a text? So, because we have five judges, we all read in a different order. So, the books that end up in discussion for the long list, some of them we, you know, some judges will have read them really recently, um, and then some judges will have read some of the titles at the beginning of their reading and be less familiar. So I think we all reread in different patterns as a result of that. Certainly by the time we've gotten to that discussion for the long list, there is a lot of rereading. There's a lot of looking back. There's a lot of really interrogating our thoughts. But I think the biggest part of it actually comes down to the discussion because all of us went in this year with um, a kind of set idea of how we would rank the, say, 40 or so books that had gotten to the point of being discussed for the long list, which, by the way, comes down to 12 titles. So a pretty tough um, decision-making process. But even though we went in with these ideas around what we thought were the standout books, the discussion often changes our mind and we end up moving in a different direction as a result of really interrogating it. So it's actually such a pleasure to be able to sit down with four other book nerds um, and just talk about literature for hours. And it takes, I think the longest discussion was like three or four hours. The shortest discussion um, is like a six-hour meeting. We don't necessarily go for that entire time, but we need to block out that time because it really does um, require a lot of thought. So I think the relationship to the text is a really interesting one because I have such a fondness for all of these books now, even books that I originally didn't connect with as much until those discussions and then have gone back to. It does change the way that you experience them and it changes the way that you read going forward. Like I think I keep that judging lens in my head for at least a few months after the process is over because it, it becomes so ingrained in the way that you read. I know you can't talk about specific titles, but can you give me a little bit of an insight into one of those moments you just described where the discussion made you see something different? Because I think we all that's, – that's one of the great pleasures of reading where the reading and the discussion around it makes you see things differently. Mm, I think – it's a really good example because it was also a book that um, was really unique in structure and style um, is Intan Paramedita's book, um, The Wandering. Mm-hmm. And it's a book that's um, it's almost like a choose-your-own-adventure but a little bit different and definitely for adults. And it looks at so many deep themes. Um, so um, Intan is an Indonesian author and the book you know, travels across different countries and different spaces, but it's all written in the second person which is a really challenging way to read. And when I was first reading the book, I was like, I just, this isn't how I typically read. I find it challenging. This isn't um, the type of book I would naturally be drawn to. But then in the discussion, there were, you know, some judges were fiercely, fiercely um, passionate about this book being on the long list. And of course it was long listed. So going back and rereading it in preparation for that discussion, I suddenly was able to really understand the broader message of the book, I guess, and how it's actually about kind of, globalization and capitalism and greed and inequality and all these amazing themes. And I think when you start looking at a book like it's a puzzle and trying to kind of unpick it and understand it that way, it does change the way that you assess it. So from the first reading, I knew that it was incredible, but I just wasn't sure whether it 
it was grabbing me for the long list. By the time we had that discussion, I was like, no, this absolutely has to be on the long list. So it's a pretty fascinating process to be part of. I love that. And I, I think you're highlighting here how this conversation could go on for hours just discussing individual books, but we've got to get to this list. Let's tell everyone the list of the 2021 Stella Price, the shortlist. This is, this is the, the most exciting part. Absolutely. Do you want me to just list the titles one by one? Yeah, that's fine. Yeah, let's go for it. It's exciting because I haven't been able to do this. So um, I'm very excited to be sharing this with your listeners. So the 2021 Stella Prize shortlist is The Animals in That Country by Laura Jean Mackay, Witness by Louise Milligan, Stone Sky Gold Mountain by Maranti Rebo, The Bass Rock by Evie Wilde, Revenge by S.L. Lim and Fathoms the World in the Whale by Rebecca Giggs. That was, I, I'm going to have to put better applause in later, but that, that, was, <laughs> that was my excitement playing out. This is, this is an incredible list. I have been fortunate enough to read three of the titles on this shortlist. I still have a little bit more reading to go, but I know, I know, I trust the Stella Prize so much. To, to open up those discoveries for me. So this is incredibly exciting. I am joined by Zoya Patel. She is the chair of judges for the Stella 2021. And that was the short list. You've still got a little bit of time before the announcement. So so at the 22nd of April, that's uh, that's your deadline. Are you currently rereading all these titles, getting ready to announce the, uh, the winner? Look, I'll give you a glimpse behind the curtain and tell you that we already know the winner. <laughs> So it's, um, it's a secret I'm going to hold tightly, um, but that decision has been made, which is kind of nice because we get to enjoy this next period without agonizing over how you choose between these six amazing books. We've already done that. That's hang up on me now. Hang up on me now before I try and interrogate you. Um, that's fantastic. <laughs> I, I love it. Look, this is this is always incredible and, and it's a highlight of the year because – of the incredible books that we get to experience. So I really appreciate the time that you've taken to, to speak with me today. Thank you so much for having me. It's always a pleasure to talk about these books. That's it for this great conversation with Zoya Patel. Zoya is the head of the 2021 Stella Prize judging panel. The prize will be announced on the 22nd of April, so tune in for that. Great Conversations is recorded on the lands of the Darug and Gunungurra people. The show is produced and presented by Andrew Popel. Stay in touch. We are on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Just look for at Final Draft 2SER. Subscribe in your podcast app. It means a new great conversation every week. I'm Andrew Popel. I will be back next week with more great conversations from Final Draft. Till then, I wish you happy reading. Bye now.